Chicago Bears History by the Decade. I'm Jeff Perkis, a writer from Windy City Gridirons, and I'm partnering up for this special podcast series with lifelong Bears fan and historian Matt Winter. Matt, what do you want to say? It's the Jay Cutler era. I remember the exact moment I found out when we got Cutler. You know, some people, older people, claim Kennedy. Some people claim seeing the man on the moon. I claim Jay Cutler as a pivotal moment in my life. <laughs> yes, it, it sticks out to me as well. It, it, just for a quick note, obviously we've been doing this history podcast one decade at a time, and we are covering most of this decade. But as we kind of got closer and started thinking about it, we're really viewing this episode as a historical approach. And we're going to do one additional episode where we take a look at the current iteration of the Bears, starting with the Khalil Mack trade and the Matt Nagy hiring. And so that episode is going to be coming at you next week. And we are going to focus on basically what we're calling the Jay Cutler era. So that's what's going to happen here. We're not talking about Mitchell Trubisky or anything like that. We are just talking about Jay Cutler and what happened during the Jay Cutler era. So that's what's going on. For the Jay Cutler era, we need a cocktail. I'm not sure what Jay Cutler drinks or if he drinks, to be honest with you. But the 2010s, in my opinion, I think were really good for cocktails because bartenders started to appreciate the craft and there was a much higher demand for craft cocktails. One way that a lot of places are doing craft cocktails is they're using ingredients that they make in-house or that are really hard to find. It kind of becomes this house secrets ingredients, which that's, you know, tough to replicate in the home bar. And that's what I'm trying to do here is just talk about cocktails that you can make at home. On the other end, you've got these like crazy things that I don't know if you've experienced any of these or ordered any of these, but like the over the top Bloody Mary, where you've got like skewers of things sticking out of a bloody mary like i saw one with a with bacon a chicken wing pieces of fried cheese that's that's too much that's too much stuff yeah it becomes a meal more than a drink it doesn't really make any sense to me the other things that stick out from this decade i mean the hard seltzers those came out of nowhere last year ipas and the beer scene i mean count me out so you know it it's, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of the citra hops and high bitterness units with no balance. That's, that's really a nightmare to me. So a lot of the drinking scene wasn't good, but the cocktail scene was good. A couple of cocktails made a comeback. Moscow Mule. I know you've had a few mm. of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Negroni, which is a little bit more of a bitter-based drink. And it's not, it's not my favorite, but it's okay. It's a, got Campari, a, an aperitif as, as its main ingredient. But we're going to actually go with the Old Fashioned. Old Fashioned's been around for a long time. It's been made in a lot of different ways. And I think it's it's a recipe that can be altered at home with what you have. And, and you can put your own spin on it and you can make it really good. So basically take a half teaspoon of sugar or maybe a sugar cube. Invest in a box of sugar cubes would be kind of fun. Or a simple syrup if you just have that lying around or want to make a simple syrup. And then take some bitters. A lot of people use Angostura bitters, but I think that you can experiment with a lot of different types of bitters for this. So I've got cherry bitters. I think that's kind of an interesting element. I've got some black walnut bitters, which I think actually adds a really interesting, obviously nutty type flavor to the drink. But basically what you want to do is you want to take the bitters and you want to soak your sugar. Here's an optional thing. You want to put in a teaspoon of water fine. If you're using a high-proof bourbon, that might help a little bit loosen it up. I think that's an optional piece for me. Also optional is fruit. If you want to put in a slice of orange, a maraschino cherry, great. Go for it. Then you want to uh, muddle that 
on the bottom of your glass and then add in a couple shots of bourbon. Now, my recommendation here would be to use a bourbon that you'd be willing to drink neat. So it's gotta be a decent enough bourbon that you actually like the taste of because you're not really doing too much to it. And then take that orange that you potentially used and cut yourself an orange peel. Use the twist of the orange peel to get the oil uh, on the drink and then and garnish with the orange peel. And that's really it. Obviously the ice, chill it over ice and you're good to go. So it's a really easy drink to make. The only thing that some people don't like is if you use the sugar cube, you might not get all the sugar dissolved uh, and it'll leave a little grittiness at the bottom, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of the drink. So the old fashioned, that's our drink for the J color era 2010s. Sounds delightful. And uh, I, kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, I've seen Jay Cutler on his reality TV show with his now ex-wife. And he does drink quite a bit, but it seems like he's, he's more of a craft beer guy, I'm guessing, from what I've seen on the show. I kind of imagine that he was, but yeah, I'd be interested to see Jay, Jay Cutler, the bartender. So what about U.S. history during this decade? Well, U.S. history has been so recent that we're not really going to go much into it at all. So we're going to jump right to pop culture, Jeff. You know the drill. Yep. Here's your TV shows you can pick from. Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead... Black Mirror, Parks and Rec, Veep, or Orange is the New Black? So for comedy, Parks and Rec, because I'm, I'm going to take a comedy, I'm going to take a drama. And I, I love Parks and Rec, Ron Swanson, all-time character. For drama, I think you'd expect me to take Game of Thrones, and I've watched mm -hmm. many Game of Thrones many times over, but Breaking Bad was a perfectly executed show from start to finish. And so as much as I like Game of Thrones... I'm going to go with Breaking Bad. Can't go wrong there, Jeff. A, sh a show that didn't last too long, didn't wear out its welcome, and kind of ended on a, a note that most people were fine with. So good choice there. Uh, music, we're going to go a little different. I found the song of the summer for every Jay Cutler training camp. <laughs> and so, you know, that feeling you get, like, this year's going to be the year. Jay's going to figure it out. We're going to be great. Amazing. So Let's do this. It's, it's, a, it's a decent list, Jeff. Here we go. I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, California Girls by Katy Perry, Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, <laughs> Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke, Fancy by Iggy Azalea, Bad Blood by Taylor Swift, and One Dance by Drake. Jeff, you make your choice. Uh, I don't know how you choose between those. Honestly, put those on a, uh, well, I was, I was going to say a CD, but that's, that's aging me. Put that on some sort of digital <laughs> digital Spotify soundtrack and send that out as the, the Jay Cutler summer era soundtrack because that's, that's pretty amazing. I don't really have a preference of those. Some of those have held up a little bit more than others. I will just, uh, I'll go with Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any favorites on this list either, but if, if I was going to download one off of Napster, I would probably go... <laughs> Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen. That song is just so cheery, Jeff. I love it. Yep. Movies. Oof. Here we go, Jeff. Social Network, Mad Max Fury Road, Zero Dark Thirty, Lincoln, Big Short, American Sniper, Wolf of Wall Street, Moneyball, or Inception. Oh, I, I mean... <laughs> There's some good movies there. Obviously, I really like Zero Dark Thirty. That was a really great movie. I It's Moneyball. Moneyball is one of those movies that, I forget what summer it was, but I had, oh, one of those 
movie network things and it was just on all the time and it's just no matter where it was I would watch 20 30 minutes of it and it's just a great movie uh, Moneyball Inception is right there too uh, but you really can't go wrong with a movie on that list and so that's our pop culture Jeff uh, I think it's time to get to the bears yeah let's let's not delay too much longer although I will say Moneyball good book and really good movie and I think it's one of those were watchable movies that the ringer talks about and it's it's mm-hmm. worth uh if you haven't watched it go watch it if you haven't watched it in a while go watch it again but i think it does just kind of it holds up how many other times you've seen it so all right matt nfl in this decade pretty simple stuff 2016 the rams moved from st louis to la and then in 2017 the chargers moved from san diego to la which you know, they're, they're still figuring out their stadium situation, uh, and I think that is scheduled to open this year. But, you know, for a long time it was, well, L.A. doesn't have any teams. L.A. doesn't have any teams. Well, now they have two, and apparently no one likes the Chargers, and a lot of people don't really go to Rams games anyway. So we'll see if the California, the Southern California fans actually start to fill up stadiums or not. That's That's one part of our football life, Jeff, I've never understood. When you and I started watching the game, you had the L.A. Rams and you had the L.A. Raiders. And then the Raiders moved back to Oakland. The Rams moved to St. Louis. And so obviously it wasn't working out. But then now, oh, let's give them two more. And it's just, it's it's a mess. Yeah, I, I don't really get it. Uh, the only other movement actually is going to happen starting this decade. But this year, the Raiders will be officially the Las Vegas Raiders, which it's going to be hard to remember to say. It's already hard enough to not say San Diego Chargers and now to try to say las vegas raiders but it, of all the teams it, it works. works because you know there's that element of kind of robbing you with casinos and all that kind of stuff a, a raider is a pirate and needs a ship and so i guess they're just gonna there's that one hotel with the pirate ship at the in the front of it i don't know it, but there's no ocean and it's a desert so it, it is kind of weird that you have a team that's named gruden will find a way jeff <laughs> Yes. All right, so the Bears in this decade, not great. 76 and 84. In the 90s, we had what I was calling the black hole, and you you said you had the same in your notes. In the 2010s, we have a five-year run that pretty much matches that black hole in the 90s. And so I call that the pit of despair (laughs) because you still still had good players and you still had fun players, and there were still some, some things that were... I don't know, interesting about those seasons, but uh, it was not <laughs> not uh, not fun and had a lot of uh, rhyming with those 90s, uh, that 90s black hole. So Bears make the playoffs just twice. In 2010, they eventually lose a heartbreaker in the NFC Championship game to Green Bay at home, which I assume we'll talk a little bit more about. But at the time... I had said that I think that sets the franchise back a decade uh, because it was such a brutal loss. Uh, Confidence in the quarterback that we'll talk about here at length really from a fan base really went down. And that was a, that was a rough, rough game to lose. The second playoff appearance we're going to talk a lot more about next time is that was the 2018 squad that lost his home opener against the Eagles. Again, bad decade. Bears finished third or fourth in the division seven out of the ten years. Oofta. Oofta. Bears coaches. Lovey Smith coaches until 2012. He's fired after a 10-6 and six campaign. We've mentioned that before. 
if the Bears missed the playoffs basically just because of some tiebreakers, but the new general manager, Phil Emery, wanted to uh, put his guy into place. So unfortunately, he parts ways. He finishes career at 144 and 81. You know, he needed at least two, but probably three years to pass Dicka for second all-time and wins, but he sits comfortably in third. I think he would have gotten there had had Emery and him gotten along better and he stuck with him, but he didn't. So they, Emery moves on, completely botches the hiring for Levy's replacement. As the story goes, he had Bruce Arians in the building, Arians had just won coach of the year in a very unique circumstance where he took over for Chuck Pagano, who was battling cancer, won the coach of the year for the Colts that year as he was able to take Andrew Luck into the playoffs. So you've got the reigning coach of the year on the market. He wants to come to Chicago. He wants to coach Jay Cutler. And Phil Emery insists that Bruce Arians keep Rod Marinelli. Arians says F you literally because it's Bruce Arians and he goes to Arizona he brings along the D coordinator that he wanted Todd Bowles who eventually becomes a head coach and the Bears fall back on their second option which was Mark Tressman from the Canadian football Toronto Argonauts (laughs) so Tressman comes in and he has zero idea of who he's going to hire as a defensive coordinator because he has no connections marinelli says i have no idea why you hired that guy i'm gonna go to dallas and so trustman ends up hiring mel tucker who i think is the worst defensive coordinator that i have ever seen in the nfl not just bears history but just nfl he lasts uh trustman lasts two i think very crazy years where he just absolutely loses the team in the end benches cutler in the last week and some i think weird attempt to try to gain back some control uh doesn't matter he's fired along with phil emery finishes his two-year career coaching the bears at 13 and 19 and left behind a smoldering hole where lovey smith's team used to be so new general manager ryan pace is hired immediately his first job is to hire a new head coach He gets John Fox, who was unexpectedly let go by the Denver Broncos. Fox was very recently off of a Super Bowl appearance with with the Broncos, and so it was pretty unexpected that he he would come free. He was an established coach. So I know that John Fox, I'm sure we'll talk about him more, not exactly the most popular guy amongst fans, but he did settle the locker room. He brought back a little bit of stability into the Bears as Pace started to churn the roster over in a big way. Cutler is there for the first two years of Fox's tenure, uh, but Fox only lasts three years, record of 14-34, and 34, which rivals Yikes. Abe Gibron, but it's not quite Abe Gibron awful, but it's bad. Not the name you want to be mentioned with. Jeff. No. So Pace hires head coach Matt Nagy, currently has a 20-12 and 12 record, and again, we'll talk about him more next time. But right now, Matt, in your opinion, who was the worst person in Bears history and why is it Phil Emery? Uh, it's it's Phil Emery because I think his decision to hire Trustman set the franchise back at least three or four or five years. Kind of some holes we're still digging out of. And I know, I think you read, you read Trustman's book as well, didn't you? Uh, you know what? I never did. Oh, I thought for some reason you did. Well, I, I read Mark Trustman's book. Basically, right after, I don't know if it was 
right after he was hired or like that first offseason in. I don't blame Trestman for what happened. He was a very accomplished offensive coordinator, but in his book, he was always complaining about, well, he never got a head coaching job, could never get a head coaching opportunity, could never could never get an opportunity. And, well, there was probably a reason, Mark, why you didn't ever get a head coaching opportunity. And when someone finally gave you that opportunity, it, it kind of was just a complete poo show. And, and so... Uh, Emery's drafts not great uh, we were talking before we came on about Shane McClellan and I think mm. we had both intentionally forgotten that name yep. uh, buried it deep in the recesses of our mind and just yeah I, the, the Bears have a reputation for doing things on the cheap and there's certainly plenty of times where there's evidence that doing that going on the cheap just has disastrous consequences for the Bears franchise he is, I, I think it's a very clear cut in our lifetime, the worst person to be associated with the Bears because of what he did <laughs> that decision. Just let the head coach bring in whoever whoever he wants to bring in as coaches. Just let that happen. That is just unbelievable that he would do that. And like you said, put, put the franchise back five years and no one wanted to play here. And so but let's get to the key players of the Cutler era. And Let's talk about who carries over from the last episode. So Erlacher plays through 2012. Tillman plays through 2014. Hester through 2013 and Briggs 2013. So a lot of those core guys are there for the majority of the Cutler era, which lasts until 2016. Uh, One guy we're not talking about that I thought I'd bring in right now just to kind of talk about him up top is Patrick Manley. He's a little bit of a folk hero in the Windy City Gridiron Circle, so I wanted to make sure we at least <laughs> mention Patrick Manley. Most games at a Bears uniform stuck around for a really, really long time, started in like 1998. And I think it's a really cool story. He's doing some really good stuff, helping out a lot of young long snappers to develop their game and, and have a path hmm. to get into the NFL. And so he's a uh, I think he's really doing a great job and kind of this ambassador for the the long snappers. And obviously it's, it's cool that he seems like such a cool guy. And, you know, he's a, the guy that has the most games played in a Bears uniform. So anyway, I wanted to mention Manley to make sure he got a little bit of a little bit of airtime. But really, there's only one way to start off the Cutler era. And that's with Jay Cutler. Oh, Jeff, I I'm kind of overcome with emotion here when I get to talk about Jay Cutler. And you and I were talking beforehand. People only tend to be one of two ways on Cutler. They absolutely hate him or they will defend him to no end. And you and I are both in the, the category of defending him to no end. And I think he got kind of a short end of the stick in Chicago. But let's get into him. Uh, Jake Cutler was a phenomenal high school athlete. Basically all state in three different sports. Led his football team senior year to a state championship. Uh, played quarterback, obviously, but also free safety. Jeff, nine interceptions his senior year at the free safety spot. No fly zone. and No fly zone. And uh, if our listeners want to go online and you can type in Jay Cutler basketball highlights, you will see Jay Cutler average over 20 points a game, be an all-state basketball player. He's 6'3", and he is just dunking it all over the place. Now, Jeff, I'm 6'2", and I was an okay athlete. I could barely dunk but Cutler's only 6'3 and he's throwing down pretty advanced slams like this guy was a stud athlete good baseball player too uh, I, I don't know for sure but I would imagine he's like probably your t- prototypical shortstop slash pitcher just a, a stud athlete 
doesn't get super heavily recruited for anything and ends up going to Vanderbilt where not a lot of great NFL players come out of, but uh, by his last year, he is the SEC Offensive Player of the Year. On Vanderbilt. The, quarter, the quarterback of Vanderbilt is the SEC Offensive Player of the Year. And so he gets a lot of attention going into the NFL draft, and he's the third QB drafted. Uh, he's drafted after the likes of Vince Young and Matt Leinert. Gets drafted by the Denver Broncos and doesn't play right away his rookie year, but about you know, three-fifths of the way through the season, Shanahan decides, I got to go with this Cutler kid. Benches Jake Plummer and goes Cutler, and he plays fine in Denver. He puts up pretty good numbers. He makes his first Pro Bowl the season before the Bears get him, but Shanahan gets fired. Here comes Josh McDaniels, and for whatever reason, the rumors start that McDaniels wants to trade Cutler. Uh, who knows if that was true or not. McDaniels denied it, but at that point, Jay's like, no, I'm, I don't want to be here. I'm out of here. Request a trade. Well, do you want to hear that? Do you want to know what I've, I've heard? And it seems like yeah, it's pretty, please. pretty, it's pretty well documented that McDaniels comes in and he does the, the, the thing that a lot of Belichick disciples do where they think they have to like come in real hard and, you know, I'm the boss kind of thing. And so he meets with Cutler and his agent I think, or maybe it was just Cutler and talks basically about how bad Jay Cutler is and about how he would rather have, he would rather trade for Matt Castle, who he had, who he had in New England and just basically just bashing Jay. And so Jay walked out of there and was like, calls his agent or talked to his agent if he was there and says, get me out of here. And that's how it started. He, it wasn't that he wanted to trade Jay Cutler. It was that he said he wanted to trade for Matt Castle to start over Jay Cutler and told him how bad he was. So he, he you know, he his Belichick disciple. I have to be the the guy to to be the strong man. Really, kind of blew up in his face. Yeah, well, I guess it worked out for the most part for Chicago. So the Bears trade a couple of first rounders and I believe a third, and. I think every, you know, trading for Khalil Mack was a huge deal. It was so cool, but it pales in comparison, I believe, to when we got Jay Cutler. Uh, they could have thrown a ticker tape parade for Jay Cutler that afternoon, and I know you and I chatted on the phone about it to no end. Uh, it was just uh, just a watershed moment to be a Bears fan where we've had all these decades and decades and years and years and just failed free agent failed trade failed draft pick and then finally here's the guy jeff that we're gonna win i don't know six or seven super bowls with probably (laughs) i I mean i i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that most bears fans thought okay here we go we can we can win a super bowl with this guy because you still had the cords of defense around here you are you're bringing in this young stud qb he's already played for a few years so he's not some rookie and like here we go like this is really 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 cool his first year uh the first game i'm sure everyone remembers it uh, monday night versus the packers and it is just a train wreck he throws four picks the bears bears still make it a game but he throws a pick to end the game and it's just he kind of he bounces back he'll have good games bad games but he he leads the league in interceptions that year and i uh, so you're just kind of like oh gosh well i Okay, uh, hopefully it was just an aberration, but then uh, in a move I know I rolled my eyes at, the Ron Turner was the offensive coordinator's first year. They bring in Mike Martz, who I know I did, didn't want, I know you didn't want, and 
I doubt Jay Cutler wanted him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from uh, early on in that first March year, I remember the Giants game where Jay gets sacked, I swear, like six times in the first half. And it's just, okay, Martz clearly hasn't adjusted to, you know, he probably has maybe the same game plan he had 10 years ago when it was the greatest show on turf. And it's just, it's very frustrating to watch. And I'm sure Jay was frustrated. Uh, to Martz's credit a little bit, he does adjust. And he runs the ball a lot more and decides, hey, maybe I shouldn't get my quarterback killed. And the Bears make it to the NFC Championship game that year. And it's against the Packers. And I remember being so excited for it. You were so excited for it. And I suppose this is the time where we kind of want to take a moment and talk about it. It's it's a bad first half. Uh, the Packers jump out 14-0. And then Jay gets his knee hurt. He has a tear in his MCL in his knee. And comes back out in the third quarter, tries it, tries to, tries to have a drive, does not work. And from that point, for, Bay, or for Jay and Bears history, it just kind of, almost like a point of no return for a lot of people, Jeff. What do you remember about that injury? What do you remember about that game? All right, so a couple things. First of all, the Bears had a chance to knock the Packers out in Week 17. If they win the game against the Packers in Week 17, the Packers don't make the playoffs. And so that was a big deal because they looked like they were the hottest thing. They were. They were the hot team in the league. The Bears played them really close. I think it was a one-score game. And they just, they just couldn't knock them out. So they let the Packers in the playoffs. Okay, well, maybe it's not a big deal. Well, the Packers go, and they they win their wild card game. They win their divisional game uh, against the Falcons, I believe. The Falcons were the number one seed. The Bears were the two seed. And so the Bears get the home field game, but they have to play this hot Packers team. So the Packers were the best the hottest team in the league right then. And they end up going on and winning the Super Bowl. So that's the one Rodgers Super Bowl. You know, it's almost unfortunate that you've got this really great Bears team and you just have this this Rodgers, hot, the, the hottest run of Rodgers' career just happens to be right then. And But you've got this defense that's got, you know, again, got another guy that we're going to get to later. And guys is just like playing at a really high level. And this defense was really good during this era. And you've got a guy in Cutler that looks like he can win a lot of games. And so I was really worried. And I just remember thinking before the game, like losing at home to Green Bay in the NFC Championship is just something that is going to just be brutal. And so can we just win this game? I almost don't care about the Super Bowl. I just want to win this game. (laughs) Not only did we lose the game, which I think was just pretty disastrous in its own right to lose something like that, but you have it happen in a way where Cutler gets hurt but isn't really talked about as being in this obvious injury. You know, it's not like he broke his arm or something where it'd be like, oh, yeah, well, he can't play. It looked like he almost, and the, the announcers didn't do a very good job of scouting this or, or investigating this. And so you just were left with a sense of, like, why isn't he playing? Why is he riding a bike on the sidelines? Is he really, is he getting benched? There was just this confusion and the narrative became that that Jay Cutler was somehow soft and that he wasn't willing to play through the injury which is complete BS this is one of the toughest guys that has ever played for the Bears and it wasn't smart for him to keep playing on it when he wasn't effective because he couldn't throw he couldn't step into his throws plenty of people have been knocked out of games with that injury it just so happens that he tried to play through it. And so it, it was it was a really unfortunate, you know, early happenstance 
for Cutler because this is only his second year with the Bears. And it really sets up the next five for being really tough, uh, the fans being really tough on him for six years. And it's it was just kind of interesting timing, too, in the sense that Twitter is relatively new at that time. And so you have former and current players who are calling out Cutler during the game. Right. And I just I think that's got to be one of the first times things like that were happening. And I, I blame the media. I blame the announcers. I blame Lovey quite a bit because from what I've read, Cutler never asked to come out of the game. It was Lovey's decision after talking to the doctors that he needs to come out. And so it wasn't like Jay never asked to come out as far as what I've read. And then after the game... Lovey was defending Jay, but just didn't come out and say, no, I, I took him out. His knee is destroyed. He can't play. Like, I just, I just felt like people didn't come to his aid quickly enough or effectively enough. And and I, I think, too, people, you know, Cutler had a reputation before this game. He got it in Denver. It went with him to Chicago. Kind of, you know, he uh, he has that kind of look where he doesn't, you know, maybe Don't he looks care. like he doesn't, doesn't care about anything. And I think that was the moment where you had millions of people jump on this and say, there you go. That's that's the Jay he Cutler I've been care. telling you about. Right. And it just, he couldn't shake it the rest of, well, the rest of his career, quite quite frankly, he couldn't shake it. You know what? what's, I think, unfortunate about that too is that he comes back the next year, and you and I have always said this, I think that was the best football he was playing of his career the next year. And the Bears are seven and three. They're playing the Chargers. They they've got the game well in hand, and he throws a slant to what is it, Johnny Knox, I believe. Knox slips, so it's a pick, and it's going to be a pick six for the Chargers. And Jay tackles him, lands awkwardly on his thumb, and he misses the rest of the year. And the Bears just collapse. They they were seven and three at the time. They were looking like the best team in the NFC, and then they finish eight and eight, and it's just it's just a disaster. And finally. Finally, in 2012, Lovey's last year, something we need to keep in mind, his first three years in Chicago, he's throwing to Earl Bennett, Devin Hester, Johnny Knox, Devin Aroma Shadu. He's got Greg Olson for a little bit, but Martz doesn't know how to use Greg Olson, eventually trades him. No offense to those guys. Those are, at best, wide receiver number threes yep. or fours. Those guys wouldn't start on many other teams in the league. You know, those... 2010 2011 he has the bears in playoff contention he has them in super bowl contention and those are the guys that he's throwing to and he has an offensive coordinator that early on is trying to get him killed and it's just it's amazing what he did and finally in in 2012 he gets a professional receiver he gets brandon marshall uh he's got but he's got mike tice mike tice as his offensive coordinator and so I think that's the year, and you can look at the targets. That year, I think Cutler just says, F it. He targets Marshall like almost 200 times. Yeah, it's 186 or something like that. It's it's insane. Yeah. I think he's just like, well, I finally have someone to throw to. I should have thrown to him every chance I get. And, yeah, the Bears finished 10-6 and six in that time and missed the playoffs. But I, I'm a firm believer in that after Ron Turner left, if Lovey just would have hired – Someone or I, I thought this as soon as Ron Turner left, I told you, I said, when they interview people, the only question they should ask is, how are you going to make Jay Cutler one of the best quarterbacks in the league? What are you going to do to build this offense around Jay? 
And I feel like they kept bringing guys in that didn't want to do that. They kept wanting to make Jay fit into what, oh, well, here's what Kurt Warner did in 2000. And it just it didn't make any sense. And I give we give Trustman a hard time, and rightfully so. But I think if Trustman comes in to be offensive coordinator in 2010, I think things turn out a little bit differently. Sure. And I think Jay's career is a lot different. But, you know, a- after Lovey's gone and Trestman comes in to be the head coach and calls plays, Jay has uh, statistically his best year. He's finishes fourth in QBR, which I think is a is a better stat than QB rating. Uh, what's your what's your take on that, Jeff? Uh, they're both flawed. Okay, well, there goes that. But he <laughs> finishes fourth in it, and he has a, you know, the Bears offense was second in the league in yards per play that year, only to that amazing Peyton Manning Broncos offense that year. And sure. so, well, look, he got a actual competent offensive coordinator, and the offense was really good. You know, surprise, surprise. Uh, but a- after that, it's just kind of, it's downhill for him. He's either getting hurt or he's playing bad, and then Trustman gets fired. Here comes Fox. He's got Adam Gase, who appears to be pretty overrated as a offensive mind. Dow Loggins, I don't even know. I don't. I remember that guy. I don't know how to say his name, Jeff. Dow Loggins looks like Pat no Oswald. No one, no one cares. No one cares about him. <laughs> and just at at the end, and no matter how much I love Jay, at the end, I'm just like, I just almost want him to leave. Just go somewhere else and like maybe win another playoff game and get some people off his back. But it's got to be one of the most puzzling careers uh, in the last 20, 30 years of the NFL. And he's a, he's been a reality star with his wife the last few years, although at the time of this recording, they uh, announced their divorce within the last couple of weeks. And so there goes that. I, full, I fully admit the Mrs. and I, Jeff, we love to watch Very Cavalieri the last few years. And I watch it for Jay. She watches it for the girl drama and stuff. But he comes across as like a very good dude, like very funny, very witty, obviously a man of few words, but just like, Seems like a genuinely good guy, and it's just kind of sad to, to think about how his career went. But, you know, his career was pretty good. You loved the career comparisons the last time. I think these names will make perfect sense. So on the profootballreference.com, his career comparisons are guys like Phil Sims, Joe Flacco, Ron Jaworski, Matt Hasselbeck, and Mark Brunell. Like, those are, those are good quarterbacks. A lot of those guys have won Super Bowls. Jay was good enough to win a Super Bowl. We just didn't put the right either personnel or coaches around him, Jeff. Yep, absolutely. So the next guy is Matt Forte. So we'll start with with the Cutler weapons during this time. So Forte comes in a year before Cutler was was brought in. Uh, drafted in the 08 draft, second round out of Tulane. Scouting reports on this guy is like, eh, he's not very fast, but... Seems like he has all the tools to be successful at the next level, and I, I think you could say that they were correct on that. Gigantic part of the offense from the jump. Has over 300 carries as a rookie. He really only has one year where he's not all that productive, and that's 2009. His yards per carry drops to like 3.6, and so 2009, there just something wasn't really clicking right. Otherwise, he's really good. Tops 1,000 yards five times, and then there's two seasons where he doesn't simply because of injuries limit him to 12 and 13 games, respectively. Otherwise, easily clears 1,000 yards in those other campaigns. In fact, in 2011, he finished with 997 yards in 12 games, but it was a career-best 4.9 yards per carry. So it's really unfortunate he didn't get a full year in on that that particular season because he would have 
potentially had just a, a monster campaign. Obviously, with Forte, you have to talk about pass catching. He set a running back record, a league record for running backs with 102 catches, recently broken by Christian McCaffrey, so he didn't hold it very long. But again, I think it shows just, just how valuable he was in that passing game. His eight seasons in Chicago, he totaled 8,600 yards rushing, 487 catches for 4,100 yards, and he had 64 touchdowns. Not like a huge touchdown total. He wasn't really known for racking up touchdowns, but still respectable. Finishes out his career with two seasons with the Jets, where, you know, honestly, he's just he's not very good. I always thought we should have let him play out the string in Chicago, but you know me, I'm a bit of a softy for that kind of stuff, letting all-time Bears just kind of play out the string, even if they're not as effective or if they they have limited capabilities. I don't really care. Like, if you're an all-time Bear and we're not very good, I want you to still be playing. See the second best running back production-wise in Bears history? So, franchise marks, he is second in rushing yards behind Peyton. Obviously, Peyton's number one. Uh, but he's ahead of Neil and he's ahead of everybody else. He's ahead of Neil Anderson, Rick Casares, Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers obviously had the uh, injury shortened career. He's second in receptions behind Walter Payton. Walter Payton had 492. Again, Forte had 487. So, just would have stuck around one more year. He would have gotten that. Or, like, not missed one game or two games <laughs> that he missed otherwise. Yeah. He would have he had that team record. I used to think of his running style as simply smooth. Like that was the word that always came to mind when I thought about Matt Forte. Never seemed to look flashy, never had like a lot of jukey, you know, like, whoa, bounce off the screen kind of moves. But just everything just looked smooth to him. He had a sense of calm when he had the ball. So I really, I just enjoyed watching his career. Obviously, just seems like a a really great guy. And given uh, the Bears drafted him, and eight, his eight years, I think, honestly, I think it's safe to say he's my favorite running back in the last 30 years. And that's with all the love in the world to Thomas Jones. But Forte played for eight seasons, and I just, I loved watching him play. What about you? What's, I mean, maybe not ranking them in terms of how great they were, but just your favorites after Peyton. Where does he rank? I, I, I'm right there with you. He's number one. First off, uh, no other running back played that long, and he was good every year you, you knew what you're going to get you're going to get about a thousand yards you know anywhere from 50 plus catches with his tenure at the bears you know he's putting up really high marks for receiving and just super steady like not super flashy just a guy who's going to show up you're going to get probably at least 100 yards from scrimmage from him and you could win a lot of ball games with guys like that so you mentioned earlier during the Cutler talk about the professional wide receivers, and actually you drafted both of them in our little player draft, and not surprising, you love wide receivers. And so why don't you go ahead and talk about Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey? I'll start with Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall is a freak. 6'4", 230, ran a 4'5 of the combine. Just looks like what a wide receiver should look like. Now he gets drafted by the Broncos, doesn't play a whole lot his first year, but then starts popping off these 100-catch seasons but he wears out his welcome. Goes, gets traded to the Dolphins. Wears out his welcome. The Bears steal him for two third-round picks. Yep. He, he gets reunited with Jay Cutler, puts up huge numbers with the Bears, but that 2014 season, sorry, that 2014 season with Trestman, it, it's a disaster. His production drops. He's shouting at teammates. Gets at the shouting match with Robbie Gold for some reason. Uh, challenges a Lions fan to a boxing match, uh, and and 
it's just really bizarre stuff. And during this time too, he's also hosting inside the NFL. And so that's, you know, people would claim that's a distraction from his job of being a wide receiver for the Bears. I always thought he was actually really good on, on that show. But you know, finally, he gets traded to the Jets for a fifth rounder. Uh, two seasons with the Jets, one season with the Giants, one season with the Seahawks. And so that, that's the trend is amazing receiver, tough to deal with. But I want to point out, too, uh, he's, he's come out a lot about uh, his mental health stuff. Yep. And for our listeners, you need to read. He had an article for the Players' Tribune in 2017 called The Stigma. You need to read it. If, if Whatever you think about Brandon Marshall, read this article because it will really make you – appreciate what he was going through. He doesn't make excuses for any of his mistakes, and he made a lot of mistakes. He's not make, making excuses. It's just an explanation on you know, what him and other people like him have to go through. And he has, a, he has this company with his wife called Project 375, and they're trying to raise awareness for mental health. And so good to see him doing a lot of good uh, after his career. Uh, what's your feelings on Brandon Marshall, Jeff? Well, I think you brought up a good point with the mental health stuff, and I think for a lot of Bears fans, that's not a comfortable subject. Or a lot, just a lot of people, that's not a comfortable subject. But it's not something that you really think about with football. And I think it's incredibly important uh, to, to really understand that. And I, I know I've appreciated that focus. And even kind of thinking about myself, I would consider myself someone who hasn't really struggled with a lot of that. But even giving myself the space to make sure I'm mentally healthy with work. And, you know, we're dealing with a global pandemic right now. We're dealing mm-hmm. with other things. I think it's important for all of us to understand that mental health is just as, if not more important than physical health a lot of times. And so I, he brought a lot of light to a very, you know, stigmatized, as he, as he said, subject. And so I think that's, that is a bigger legacy than any of his football on the field. Yes. Yeah, very, very well put, Jeff. Now we got Alshon, and he came, he got drafted the same year that Marshall got traded for, second round pick, one of the very few good things that Phil Emery did. Now his his first year, battles injury, once he starts playing, I remember him dropping a lot of passes, and he's looking like a bust that first year. After that, he rattles off a couple of monster years back to back, and I think one of my favorite memories of being at a Bears game and Jeff, you and I are at this Bears game. It's the old Metrodome. Yep. We're playing the Vikings. It's Josh McCown at quarterback because Cutler's hurt. This is Tressman's first year, I believe. And the first touchdown he had, uh, I think it was either you and I or you and our friend of ours had gone to get something to eat, and so we missed it. But the second touchdown, I can still see it. We have end zone seats. McCown th- chucks it up to the end zone deep down the left sideline, and he just goes up over – the cornerback and just makes this amazing play and I'll, I'll never forget it. And at that moment, like he's one of my favorite players and he just, he had plays like that, that whole year. And so he has these two monster years back to back. And then after that, it's, it's, this is a guy that has shown to be, he's pretty injury prone during his career. And he battled hamstring issues, other issues. Uh, His last year with the bears, he has suspended for four games because of PEDs and the bears decide not to, not to bring him back and he goes to Philadelphia he wins a ring there he's still a nice player but he has never come close to those monster couple monster years that he had and I I, I hope he gets a chance to in Philadelphia I don't see it happening but man to think at one point we had Brandon Marshall on one side Alshon Jeffrey on the other don't forget Martellus Bennett 
uh, at the tight end position and also Forte at the running back. Yep. Like those are four pretty darn talented receivers. Well, obviously I loved Alshon. Uh, I had the jersey and I remember that game obviously and I don't know if it was before that big play. He was just eating up the the, the Vikings that day. And there was a guy like two rows. It was a rough section of Vikings fans. We were like way up at the top. It was not they were not good seats to be to be quite fair. Our our friend who's a Vikings fan bought the seats. But there was this guy a couple rows uh, behind us who said, I effing hate Elshon Jeffrey. And it was like, <laughs> really? Like, why? <laughs> how, how has he made you that mad? But he ends up putting up like 249 and just had an incredible game. That was that was a lot of fun until Tressman decided to kick the ball in overtime. Uh, on second down. On second down. And yeah. Gold missed it. And then we ended up losing that game. And fun story, we leave the Metrodome. We get pushed out by that forced air in the in the stadium by the revolving doors and we just start walking and i think each of us thought the other one knew where we were going but (laughs) matt and i are so mad and we assume that the minnesota fan is going to just like take us back to our car and we probably walked for 10 minutes and then i said hey guys are we going in the right direction and (laughs) everybody just looked at each other like uh we were following you (laughs) So, um, yeah, not one of our better moments. None of us had a smartphone either. It was too, like 2014. None of us have a smartphone, and so we can't like pull up GPS, can't pull up a map. To I honestly, out. think it was, it whatever that game was, I don't know if what year it was, but whatever that game was, I honestly I came home and I told my wife, I need a smartphone. And I got a smartphone <laughs> the, next, the next week because <laughs> it was like, that can't happen again. All right, my next guy's uh, Julius Peppers. So Peppers was the second overall pick in the 2002 draft to the Panthers. So he doesn't play for the Bears until 2010. So he already had a full career before he gets to the Bears. Six foot seven, athletic marvel. If you're going to build a defensive end in a laboratory, he comes out and he looks like Julius Peppers. I just, I've always been just amazed at how physically imposing and just perfect that he is for that position signed him to a huge free agent deal in 2010. It was a huge move right on the heels of the Cutler trade that happened just the year before. Bears are going out. They're getting this stud defensive lineman to try to reinvigorate that defense and try to take it over the top, and it does. It does just that. Plays four seasons for the Bears, doesn't miss a start, makes three Pro Bowls, and his best year was that 2010 season. He had a, it was first team All Pro. Uh, he averages 10 sacks a year over the first three years, those Pro Bowl seasons. And the defense is just absolutely great during that time. So with Peppers in the fold, D finishes in the top five all three years in defensive DVOA. And in 2012, the defense ranks first. So they were just honestly they're fantastic with Peppers. It was a great move. Had a bit of a down year in 2013, and the Bears decided, you know, we're going to move on. We're going we're gonna to try to save some money, and we're going to let you go. Unfortunately, he signs with Green Bay. They move him to outside linebacker. He plays pretty well there for three seasons. He certainly has some good moments there. Leaves Green Bay, goes back to Carolina, and finishes career as kind of a part-time starter, part-time backup, and played it. So ended up his career 17 seasons. He misses six games at defensive end that is over unreal. his entire career four of them came in his rookie season 
So just absolute like Iron Man tough. Hall of Famer, Jeff? Easy. I think he gets in on the first ballot. Because just because of how good he was for so long. He's not like he doesn't have the all time sack record or anything like that, but this is a guy that was just consistently I think it's nine Pro Bowls and he's got three first team all pros. I it's enough for me to go in, but there I think for me, I look I really like Julius Peppers. He to me, special place in my heart. He was a major component of some of those really great defenses. It's to me he, I don't care what he did afterwards. Yes, he went to Green Bay, whatever. Like, don't care. Like, those guys are getting a paycheck. They're, that's that's the world. It just so happens. Bears, Bears didn't want him. The, the go, Bears go, cut him. You go, you go where someone wants you. What I think is unfortunate is that this is a guy who he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And the peak of his career was spent in Navy and Orange. I really believe that. He's on a team, finally, with a little bit more talented players, and he was really thriving. And you look at Pro Football Reference's AV, approximate value, in 2010, it's 20. In, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy good number. In 2012, it's 18. Those are his two top career marks is, are in a Bears uniform. And so uh, over that time, he is he's absolutely dominant, and he's exactly what this defense needed. So I think Bears fans were a little hard on him. I think it's because he went to Green Bay or because he kind of had a down year because he's making so much money. People get obsessed about that. But he really returned a lot of value. And I, I, I'd, I'd fight for Julius Peppers because I, I think he's he deserves to be talked about as uh, probably one of the best signings of Bears history. He was also a basketball player at North Carolina, along with All-American football player. Pretty impressive. <laughs> and at six foot seven, maybe not that surprising. The other defensive end that I wanted to talk about, and this kind of surprised you when I mentioned that I wanted to talk about this guy, but it's Israel Adonaje. And I think that through this series, we've found a few like fan favorites. And I think Adonaje fits that mold. And I think you might be surprised at how long Adana J played. Do you know what was the first year that he appeared in a Bears game? Oh, my goodness. Uh, gosh, uh, I'm going to guess 2005. You're so good, but it's actually 2004. So he plays <laughs> So he plays a long time. He starts in 04, and he plays through 2012. I don't think a lot of people would know that he was on the team that long. So starts off his career as mostly a rotational player on that defensive line basically through 2009 2010 he steps in and he's a starter for those next three years so 2010 2011 2012 that's when all the really good defenses were going on so he's a starter on those really good defenses he's on the opposite side of peppers he's six foot six where's that neck roll so it makes i think anybody that wears a neck roll <laughs> you love the neck roll. i love the neck roll i didn't wear one as a player but i think i think they look really cool i thought they were incredibly uncomfortable but i think they look really cool and so <laughs> he, he wore the neck roll so here's here's some background on adonijay born in nigeria played his college ball in canada manitoba college so you know, Powerhouse Manitoba. Obviously, I know nothing about Canadian college football, but you know, he completely off the radar. There's not a lot of like future NFL players that play in Canada. So he's kind of out of nowhere. His three years as a starter, really solid season. He has eight sacks, five sacks, and seven and a half sacks, and averages 10 tackles for loss per season over that time. So really solid defensive end. Uh, I think I really wanted to talk about him because after his career, 
you know, oh, Donald just gone. Oh, yeah, he had a great career. That you know, good guy to root for. Great. All of a sudden, he pops back up in t- 2018 with all of these really cool comic drawings that the Bears were using for all of their social media promotion. They were putting them on their tickets. They were putting them on their programs. And I'm like, what is this? This comic book thing? I'm not a comic book guy, but I'll. All of a sudden, I learned it's it's Israel Adonijah. He drew all these. He's got his own company that's called Athleta, and he's got his own comic book series called The Protectors. And then he he does these comic book characters for different sports stuff. But it, like the Bears gave him like a I assume like a really nice a really nice contract to to develop all this uh, all of these programs and everything. So I, I pulled this from the website. So when he does sports heroes, it says sports heroes showcase the extraordinary capabilities of top professional athletes through the platform of comic artistry sports heroes capture the elite abilities that make our favorite athletes larger than life their speed strength and power so i know neither of us have ever really been into comics i I i've certainly never bought one i'm you know looked at comic strips or you know maybe watch comic movies that are based off of comic books i think it's probably the closest thing i've ever come and i don't even really watch those but i really enjoyed this promotional thing that the bears did i think it's really cool i think everything turned out really great it was you know like Tariq cohen like has like you know really emphasizes how speedy he was and you know you know trubisky's got like a fireball that he's throwing and you know uh, uh cody whitehair is like kind of like the uh like the thing or whatever like he's just this like really big massive rock guy <laughs> and you know so it's like it's it's cool like it's just it was a fun thing and then it was just like it took it tenfold up in my mind when I found out it was Israel Adonijah that was doing it. I, I just think it's such a neat story that here's someone that is born in Nigeria, went to Canada, somehow made it in the NFL in America, and then now he's producing these comic type things like that. Such a such a cool story. That's such a cool journey. It's a cool story, and just wanted to make sure everybody kind of knew that Adonijah was 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 doing that, and and uh, you know really cool player and really cool story. So just uh, wanted to cover that here. Another guy that kind of an all-time bear, and he's still playing, uh, but not for the Bears. That's Robbie Gold. Yeah, uh, Robbie Gold, interesting story in the fact that he's a walk-on at Penn State. He's not particularly good at Penn State. He's like a 60% field goal kicker. Goes to the camp with the Ravens, the Patriots, gets released by both. Now, he's working construction in 2005. The Bears kicker at the start of 2005 is Doug Bryan. Well, Doug Bryan gets hurt. So the Bears call in, get names like Steve Christie, Martin Grammatica, and this guy named Robbie Gold that no one's ever heard of, and Robbie Gold wins the job. Now, Patrick Manley says that Gold's ball sounded better during the trial, but I'm not sure if I buy that very much because he wasn't particularly good in 2005. Like, they don't let him attempt a field goal over 50 yards. He's only 3 of 8 from 40 to 50 yards. Like, he doesn't really appear to be anything special, but... In 2006, he must have figured some things out because he is lights out. He's the probably the best kicker in the league. He goes to the Pro Bowl, and he's just, from that point on, he is this solid, solid kicker for the Bears. At one point, one of the the highest-paid kicker in the league for the Bears. And just, I, I think, you know, the games that you and I have both been to, one of my favorite things is watching him warm up. Yeah. He, he goes to the, to the end zone all the way in the – basically like the sideline of the end zone and he just puts the ball uh with the oh what's the term jeff it's not a t but the 
like the fake holder. Oh, the, the little like holder. three. It's like three point holder. It's got like two. Yeah, on the I, and then the third on the on the on the top of the football. Yeah, and he just he goes, puts the ball up, and then kicks it, and it hits the side of the goalpost, and then he'll have another ball and he'll kick it, and he just keeps hitting the goalpost. I'm just like, that's unbelievable. Like that's that's like a must be a really cool drill he picked up, or maybe he made it himself, but. Just a really, really good kicker for the Bears. The best kicker in the Bears' history, and it's not particularly close. And his last few years with the Bears, his numbers start to slip. He becomes less and less accurate, and they're paying him a lot of money at this point. And so the Bears decide to part ways with him, which was pretty unpopular at the time. But because I think Robbie Gold's pretty beloved. Although I'm not sure how much of that is revisionist history because... He leaves and he goes to the Giants now with the Niners, and he has been crazy good. Like his numbers just – his years with the Giants in his first year with the 49ers were the best three-year stretch he ever had. And just his last year with the Niners wasn't as good. So he's getting older, although kickers tend to perform pretty well until their late 30s or early 40s. But I think a very – maybe the most telling statistic about him is he has never missed a kick in the postseason. Never missed an extra point. Pretty good. Has never missed a field goal. And I think back to that field goal he hit against the Seahawks in the NFC Divisional round in 2006 in overtime. I mean, you can't get much more clutch than that. And so I think any Bears fan right now would be happy if we paid him $5 million a year just to come back to the Bears. Like, I think everyone would be like, oh, that's a lot of money for a kicker, but oh, okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's, 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 let's bring back Robbie. And yeah, it's, it's, it's fun when, you know, we, we did Butthead. We did, uh, we've done Gold now, obviously. And we did, uh, oh, who was the kicker back Automatic day, Jack Manders. Automatic Jack Manders. And so I'm, I'm really loving it when these kickers pop up because, you know, it, it is a very, very important part of the game. You got to have a guy that's able to, kick the ball in in a clutch situation in a tight game, and Robbie Gold can certainly do that. I mean, if you're going to play good defense, I think one of the things that you need is a really good place kicker because you're probably not going to be that great on offense. And so every point counts. Mm -hmm. That's why I always thought with, like, the Ravens and investing in their kicker or the Patriots investing in their kicker, you know, they know that it comes down to close games a lot, and those kickers can be worth a game or two over the season, and that can impact your entire year. So, gold's great. I, I do wish that, you know, obviously that was a, a first year Ryan Pace move was to say, hey, those guys not that good, and we're paying them a lot, so we're going to let them go. And everybody's like, whoa, what are you doing? That's Robbie Gold. You didn't know. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, that's kind of fun. So, all right, so the last guy that we're going to talk about in the Cutler era is Kyle Long. So Kyle Long was a 2013 draft pick, and he just, after this 2019 season, decided that he was going to hang him up. So he no longer plays. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of Kyle Long recently, Matt, but he has dropped the weight. Like, he looks lean. He looks like he's in great shape. Looks like he's having a lot of fun. I think retirement fits him well. Here's a guy that I think is the most recent example of a body that just simply betrayed him. We've got a lot of that throughout. It's, football's a tough sport, and you're going to you know see this again and again, but his body just kind of betrayed him. First-round pick out of the University of Oregon in 2013 draft. Obviously comes from a great lineage with a Hall of Fame dad, Howie Long, and then a very successful brother, Chris Long, won a couple Super Bowls, one in, one in New England and one in, uh, one in Philadelphia. Kyle 
took a little bit of a different path. He went to Florida State on a baseball scholarship, was drafted in the Major League Baseball draft as a pitcher. Can you imagine stepping up to the plate? Kyle Long is staring back at you from 60 feet, six inches away. I don't think so. You know, got into a little trouble down in Florida, decided to walk away from baseball, decided that he'd reinvent himself and try to play some football. Not really built like the rest of his family. And so he kind of finally listened and took some advice and said, you know, you're probably not a defensive end. You're just not going to make it there. But why don't you look at the O-line? You're built in a way that looks like you're probably going to be a better O-lineman. So he does. So because of all of that history, he's drafted as a 25-year-old rookie. So I'm kind of against that normally, but I really like Kyle Long, so this is my exception to my own rule. But I don't really usually like drafting older rookies, but he comes in. Honestly, he's good right away, He's a, but he's like an absolute brute. And so I, I know I mentioned last time about how much I think Kreutz was a fantastic technician with kind of a nasty streak. Kyle Long all nasty streak like this guy is he's not he's not a technician like obviously like you know who am I to judge but he that's just not his game he was just such an athlete and he was just so strong and so he relied on those those characteristics when he was playing and so who cares when you're that strong and you're that much of an athlete who cares first three years great first two are at guard and his second year one of the best linemen in the league. Looks like this guy's going to plug him in. We've got we've got an all-pro at guard for 10 years. Third year, they decide, hey, we got a hole at right tackle. Kyle Long, he's big. Put on some a little more weight. We're going to bounce you out to tackle. He was he was okay. And I I think it's one of those things where he makes the Pro Bowl at scholarship at that point. I, I really don't think that he was necessarily a, a, a Pro Bowl tackle, but, you know, okay, fine. He, he makes the Pro Bowl. Here's why I think that the coaches agreed with me is that the next year they kick him back into guard. <laughs> so if you have a Pro Bowl tackle, that's a real legitimate Pro Bowl tackle, you keep him at tackle. But they, they kicked him back into guard. I think that tells you all you need to know. And that's that's when the injuries started to take their toll. So his, his final year this last season it just he didn't look like himself and only played four games and really sad because he just gave so much this franchise into the game and dedicated himself to all these rehabs and you know it's just constantly like well it's kind of long gonna come back and i you know I, i buy into that stuff like he had a really clean off season going into the 2019 year looked like he was gonna be okay, he's finally healthy, and then he just lost it. He just didn't have it. And so at some point, those things take a toll. Finishes his career with only 76 starts, which is just shy of five full seasons. But I think he's an incredible ambassador for the Bears. He's a great follow on Twitter. I think if he wants to, he could be in the media, and I think he could do quite well. He does a lot of online gaming and you know Twitch stuff, which I know that you're somewhat familiar with. And I think he actually might be onto something. He did something last year. I didn't participate, but I heard about it later where he was on his Twitch channel and watching a Bears game and people could follow him and he, he was just talking about the Bears game. And I think he might be able to find a way to kind of monetize that. And I think people would tune in and watch the Bears game with Kyle Long. So he, maybe he brings in people that he played with or other guests to be on there and you could watch the bears game with kyle long kind of breaking it down i think there's a niche there that i think could work 
And I think he's in a really great position to do it. That is a brilliant idea that needs to happen. I, I, if I knew he would have, if I knew he was doing that, I would have Twitch is an app. I assume I would have downloaded Twitch and I would love to watch a football game with Kyle. Right. Are you kidding me? That would be very entertaining. Did Jeff, was it, didn't he have like a broken hand when he went out to play tackle for a little bit? You might be right. I don't know off the top of my head. I, 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 we could cut this out, but I swear they move him out to right tackle, and he has like a broken hand or wrist at one point, but he's still out there trying to play tackle with a broken hand. I just thought, this guy's awesome and nuts in all the right ways. Yep, that's what kind of the crazy mentality you need as a lineman. So, so those are our players. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the categories after. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Matt, we're back. So let's get into the categories. What was your favorite, most random stat of the decade that you could find? Okay, well, before we talked about QBR, we talked about how Jeff doesn't like it, but in 2014, sorry, 2013, Peyton Manning has his 55 touchdown campaign. There was only one guy ahead of him in QBR. This guy threw barely just enough passes to qualify, and the only guy who was better than Peyton Manning that year? Josh McCown. Josh McCown. Yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> he was he was lights <laughs> <Speechless>. out. <laughs> and I think Josh McCown was coaching high school football like the year before or the beginning of the year or something like that. So pretty amazing yeah. story that he has as well. All right, so I don't know. I didn't know where to put this, and so I ended up just sliding it in here. And I don't know if this is the right this is the right place. But Charles Tillman forced four fumbles in one game against the Titans in this decade. It's <laughs> ridiculous. And so to me, I just I had to make sure I said it, and I didn't know exactly where that was going to be. I don't actually think it's the best game. I think it's. I mean, it's such a crazy game, but I, you know, there's kind of like a randomness element to it. I don't necessarily you know, think it's the best game of the decade, but I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned it, so I slotted it here. What about the best player of the decade? I think I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I think Peppers is maybe the obvious answer of the guys we're talking about, but I wanted to go with Matt Forte just because for those eight years, he was so solid, and he was someone you could always count on on the offense for you know 70 yards rushing, 50 yards catching. He was just, he's one of my favorite players from this time. Forte's a good choice. Peppers is a good choice. And I'm going to surprise you, I guess, because I actually think it's Peanut Tillman. 
Because okay. he really peaks in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. I, I think he's the best player on the team at some point during that time. And so he plays for the Bears until 2015. So he plays for half the decade uh, on the team. And so I, I actually think it's Tillman. I think he's the best player of the decade. So Can't go wrong with that. Most exciting player. I'm going with uh, Alshon. Okay. Because I got that personal history of that game. Yeah. And that's probably my most exciting moment seeing a Bears game live is him making that catch. And you know, for those couple of years, he was a human highlight reel. So I'm going I'm going Alshon. I, I like Alshon a lot. I think that's a really good answer. My answer is actually Jay Cutler. Because you've got a guy with a live wire arm. And you've got a guy that occasionally just can rip it. Some of the throws. I went back and watched some Cutler highlights. And they're so exciting of him being like, no, I can fit it in there. And, <laughs> and so to me, I, I, I mean, not his personality, <laughs> obviously, but I think, uh, I think his, his arm, I think, makes him the most exciting player. What about favorite player for the decade? Favorite player for the decade? I, I'm, going, I'm going Cuddy just because I want to. Okay. He's not the best player of the decade, but that was my guy, Jeff. For, I would say, 40% of Bears fans, that's our guy. That's our quarterback. That's my quarterback, to quote T.O. on it. Jay Cutler. <laughs> yep, you and my mom. My mom had the jersey. She said that was her favorite player. Make sure to mention it in the podcast. So there you go, Mom. <laughs> uh, for me, my favorite player, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm counting Tillman as last, last yes. decade. So favorite uh-huh. player of this decade is Matt Forte. And it's close between him and Kyle Long. I had both of their jerseys. Those are both my guys. But – uh, I, I just what you said about Forte being just this consistent guy that was just so much fun to watch. I I just I really like him. I have a warm spot in my heart for Matt Forte, and so he he wins my favorite player for the decade. What about who did you think had the best season in this decade? You know, I found this one to be really tough. There's tough. some there's some random seasons out there like Tim Jennings nine interceptions in one season. You got some seasons by Peppers. You mentioned his 2010 season. You got Peanut with some great seasons. Jay doesn't have any sort of amazing season, so probably not there. But, you know, ultimately, I I love the fact that Jay finally got his target in 2012. And I'm going with Brandon Marshall's 2012. 118 catches, 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns. Uh, those are marks that hopefully maybe Allen Robinson can get some time in the future. But... Uh, those marks might stand for a while. I think the 118 is going to be tough to break. But, yeah, I, I had it basically down to three choices. You got Marshall's, the 118 catches, 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns. That's incredible. Since you chose that, I'm going to choose between my other two. Uh, the other one I have up is Forte's 2013. He had 1,933 yards from scrimmage, which I think is is a great year. Because he doesn't go over 2,000, that's kind of you know kind of limits me a little bit there. And so for me, I'm going to take Charles Tillman's 2012. He has 10 forced fumbles. Jeez. He has three pick sixes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so incredible 2012 out of, out of Charles Tillman. So I'm, I'm going to go him. What was, Do you know his approximate value? That uh, not off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and look. But uh, he, that was that was his banner year that was his that was his best year but just incredible that he'd have three pick sixes with just an astounding 10 force fumbles so what what about best game and and i'll just i'll let you guys i'll let you know i answered this as 
there was a best game that I wanted to mention and then a best individual performance. Okay, uh, my honorable mention is 2010, Jay Cutler outdueling Tony Romo. Okay. Jay goes 29, or sorry, Jay goes 21 for 29, 277, three TDs. And again, at this time, he is throwing to Devin Hester, Earl Bennett, and Johnny Knox. No offense to those guys. But my winner is the game I saw. Alshon, 12 catches, 249 yards, two touchdowns. Jeff, those are Tecmo Bowl numbers. <laughs> Jeff, those are Tecmo Bowl numbers. Yes, yeah, so I had that as my best individual performance. Obviously, it was really cool that we were there to see that game because he just he lit it up, and that was a lot of fun. I wanted to fit this in somewhere, and I, and I couldn't find out where, but Thanksgiving night. The Bears play the Packers in Green Bay. Brett Favre gets his jersey retired. Brett Favre goes up into the booth with uh, Michaels and Collinsworth. And it is just this love fest of all things Green Bay for the entire broadcast. It's Brett Favre this, Aaron Rodgers that. And lo and behold, the Bears are sticking around in this game. Bears aren't that good, but they're sticking around. And they end up winning this game with a goal line stand. Rodgers can't get it done first and goal. When he throws four balls basically out of the back of the end zone. And they win this game. And I'm watching this game with my in-laws. And I like my in-laws. They're nice people. But unfortunately, (laughs) my father-in-law is a Packers fan. And so the whole game, he's just, oh, Brett Favre, oh, Aaron Rodgers. And I'm just just sitting there just stewing because I don't, you know, what am I going to do? And... Rodgers throws the ball, incomplete on fourth down, and my father-in-law turns off the TV and I go, ah, no. I had to sit here for three hours and listen to this Packers <laughs> BS. Turn that TV back on because they're actually going to talk about my team for a few minutes. And so to me, that game just needed to be mentioned because that was just so much. It was just so sweet to watch it in the house of a Packer fan and to, to watch this this Brett Favre homecoming get spoiled. Beautiful, beautiful game. All right, I have a lot for this next category that I have to mention, but did you have a best moment, play, or thing that happened? I had a lot too, and it was really tough to choose, but ultimately the uh, I'm choosing the beating the Seahawks in the 2010 NFC Divisional Round okay. because uh, going back to 2006 when we lost the Super Bowl, again, that kind of you're assuming, oh, we're going to get to the playoffs all sorts of times after this and get to more Super Bowls and – and that didn't work out that way, but okay, hey, 2010, we're, we're going back to the NFC Championship and just that, like, man, the franchise is on the up and up. Uh, you know, let's, I don't know if we knew we were going to play the Packers yet, but uh, just that was a really fun moment. And uh, you and I watched that game together. Yep. All right. So I've got a bunch and they're all Cutler based. <laughs> okay. Okay. So a couple things I wanted to mention, make sure we mentioned. So first one, Cutler trucks. A Steelers player on a on a scramble and gets a, oh gets I forgot a first about shot. that gets a first down. Another Cutler run. He gets he dies for the end zone and gets whirly birded up and scores a touchdown against the Lions. I remember that, yeah. And then a couple Cutler throws. One Cutler throws to Alshon in the back of the end zone against the Colts. It's sixty yards on a line. It is a frozen rope, right? So he's he's standing on the fifty when he throws it. And Alshon catches it in stride on the money, like perfect throw with like basically just gets two feet down and then he's out of the back of the end zone. So it's like 60 yard throw. That's just like 
absolutely perfect on the dime. Okay. Cutler's touchdown pass to Olsen in that game that you mentioned against the Seahawks in the snow. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really that's a really great throw, really great play. That one stands out. But then Matt, the one that you know we have to kind of talk about is Cutler, low snap, looks like he might fumble it, recovers, put picks his head up, throws it to the side of the end zone for Matt Forte against the Chiefs. Touchdown, come from behind victory in a game that we were at. Yes, uh, that place went dead silent when when Jay did that. It was because the, the Bears struggled that first half. We were down what uh, at least two touchdowns. It was yeah, it was a comeback win and and uh, but that that play was just kind of phenomenal because he it's a low snap. It basically skips off the ground and you you know to to have the composure to just. Be calm, pick it up, and then find Forte. You know, Forte running back in the side of the end zone. Great catch by Forte as well. So to me, that's that's my that's my best moment. And we were there, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> GM stuff. What's your best roster move of the decade? Uh, you know, you can't really go with Peppers just because it's a lot of money. It certainly was a great move, but best move. I'm going Brandon Marshall for two thirds. Mm, okay. I actually did go peppers because I think it was it was a swing from the heels kind of move and it connected and and I think that that no, rarely actually works. Well, I think a lot That's of times true. that doesn't work and so and those defenses really did pick up and were really back to their dominance in that 2010 through 2012 era that he was he was playing really well. So I actually did take Peppers, but obviously the two-thirds for Marshall's a pretty good one there. What about worst roster move? I think uh, this one's pretty obvious. Yep. Uh, Mike Martz deciding he doesn't understand the tight end position and so trades Greg Olson. Yep. Mom's still looking for a refund on her Greg Olson jersey from the Bears management for that because she couldn't wear it after that. Uh, very big Greg Olson fan. I'm sure it had nothing to do with him being a good-looking guy. What's your favorite what-if of the decade? I imagine we will have the same one. Mine is the Bears are going to be 7-3. and three. They're playing great ball. And Cutler, uh, the receiver slips. Cutler dives to make the tackle, breaks his thumb. He's out the rest of the year. Bears finished 8-8. Eight and eight. It's a great what-if. It's not what I had. Actually, my favorite what-if is, and this is one that actually still makes me very mad, what if they just hire Bruce Arians, the obvious coaching candidate, let him bring in whoever he wants for defensive coordinator. He wanted to work with Jay Cutler. Not something that a sentence that's been said by a lot of coaches. (laughs) He wanted to work with Jay Cutler. And think about what we've learned about Bruce Arians' personality from the, the Cardinals all or nothing series, which is a phenomenal series because of Bruce Arians. Like think about Bruce Arians personality with the Jay Cutler intelligence, his strong arm and Jay Cutler's personality. Bruce Arians would mesh with Jay Cutler perfectly. Like that, that is a coach quarterback marriage made in heaven. That would have been fantastic. And so I, I think that the, it's a very different history. If, Phil Emery just checks his ego at the door and makes the right decision on a coaching hire for the Bears and for Cutler's legacy. Well, yeah, that's that's been the trend of all these podcasts, Jeff, is the Bears more often than not tend not to make the right decision. Yes, that's, that's very true. It's a very sad truth. But what player from this decade would you most want on the 2020 Bears roster? Uh, Cutler. It's Gay Cutler, yeah. Gay <laughs> Cutler. I, I, was, I was wondering if you are going to go there. Can you yeah. imagine what Cutler could do with Nagy? I... 
it, like just it, it, would, it would be phenomenal and he would oh it, it just it makes me depressed that that's not physically possible to do what about the other way around who is currently playing on this bears roster that you think would have been fun to just pull them back for 10 years uh 10 years ago for for this decade that we're talking about the jay cutler era well i i gotta answer it two ways early on in the cutler era i'm bringing back uh, Alan Robin because the, he lacked sure. that true okay. number one for the first few years. Later on in the Cutler era, I'm bringing back Mac because the defense really started to slide once Lovey left. So I didn't I didn't split it into two. I just said for the Cutler era, and I said Eddie Jackson, and I think I was actually pretty clear that they could use uh, ball hawking free safety. There is this one play that happened where there's a certain free safety that played the wrong coverage and got beat by a certain guy in green and gold that uh, ruined the Bears' season. We're not going to talk more about that, but I think Eddie Jackson would not have let that happen. All right, final right. final question, Matt. Who won the decade? Um, Jay Cutler haters. Really? Yeah. I, I In the end, sadly, I think 10 years from now, the story is Jay was a failure. and Because I, I think that's just been... So many people have been saying that for 10 years. Everyone's going to forget that. He was actually a pretty good QB. And, yeah, his record was okay. But look at quarterback records during that time that aren't Jay Cutler. It's it's horrid. And so Jay was pretty good. Unfortunately, I think the haters are going to win out. And there's going to be more people in the future really coming down on Jay than people who are going to support him. Interesting. I have in my notes who won the decade, and I have Jay Cutler question mark. And I just said, did Jay Cutler win the Cutler era? <laughs> and <laughs> my argument was going to go the other way, was that when he left, it was such a you know pit of despair. And we've seen how hard it is to fill that quarterback position with stability. Now that we have a good offensive mind and Matt Nagy that we'll talk about next next episode – you know, we're still struggling to find that quarterback. And so are people going to be like, oh, man, maybe we really didn't have it that bad when Jay Cutler was here. And maybe Cutler was actually pretty good. And so for me, I actually just went with Jay Cutler won the decade. I I disagree with that, though, in the sense that people are going to put Trubisky right there with Cutler. They're not going to. Well, OK, let's let's assume Trubisky doesn't get any better. People are going to put Trubisky right there on the same level as Cutler as a disappointment. When clearly, Jay's probably a much better quarterback than Trubisky. Unless unless Trubisky just turns it around here. So I, I, I do think that people are not going to have a good opinion of Jay. And it's so much of that BS from the 2010 game. So much of BS of how I think commentators had it out for him. Uh, current and former players who job was to analyze thing they had it out for him i think he was just he and to his fault he made himself an easy target for people and i just don't think that narrative is ever going to change on him all right matt that's it that's the 2010s or the color era join us next time as we're going to cover the current iteration of this Bears squad and try to make some predictions built on what we've learned from 100 years of the past bears teams don't forget to keep the conversation going on Twitter. I can be found at Gridiron Porn. Until next time, thanks for listening and bear